<laughs> Hello, we're this is Bunker AGPH transmitting from the blasted wasteland. We've ate all the gold that we were stockpiling. If anyone can hear this, please, please like and subscribe. Hello, welcome to the Anarcho Geek Power Hour. I am IO2. My left in the Zencaster screen is Robin. Why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Robin, coming to you live from incredible pain, because I'm not feeling great. Also, I ate all the gold. I thought there was chocolate inside. Well, I think I found why you feel so bad. I didn't want to tell you this when you were eating it, because you just look so contented. But to my right in the Zencaster screen is uh, the wrong name, but I know your name. It's Inman. Inman, introduce yourself. Um, hi, everyone. I, um, I didn't eat the gold, but I did give it to a strange creature I found in the corner. It was and me. We'll, yeah. What else, is, what else is gold good for now? Because we're in the end of days, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, this is, uh, this is our, our, um, our, our dry run, our first, our first, uh, episode of this and what are we trying to what are we trying to do with this thing i haven't figured it out quite yet some sort of we're gathering in the internet's living room to be captured by the spectacle and discuss all all those medias we love to love like a fun sleepover (laughs) yeah yeah Um, i'm going for, for big sleepover vibes um, yeah, I think I think you know the whole point of this podcast is to explore um, different various medias. Um, we live in a very media obsessed culture, and um, I think we're just trying to like delve into it and like see like you know what's cool, what's fun, what relates to our experience as anarchists or anti-authoritarians and like how we can kind of like view the media that we're creating um, in context to the apocalypse that we're currently experiencing. Yeah. And that's the theme we thought would be extremely fertile ground to do for our first episode. Um, We've been going over a bunch of apocalyptic pre-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic. Well, I guess most movies are pre-apocalyptic. Terminator 2 is the only one that comes to mind, which is why it was out the window for me, sadly. Um, but Oh, see, I feel like I have things to say about Terminator 2, but... Well, let's... We, we should get into that. Well, hold on. Let's stick, let's stick to the schedule. Um, what... Uh, what else, before we get too deep into the death of civilization and uh, possibly, hopefully, some might say, not me, I, uh, all humanity, what have, you, what have we been watching lately? What have you guys been into? Well, let me tell you, because I was homesick. I sat through an entire day's worth of House of the Dragon, which I think to watch in one giant chunk was a tremendous mistake. Sounds punishing. It was just just me sick, shuddering under a blanket, going like, oh no, oh no, oh no. 
oh no, over and over again. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just forgot any better. It's, I, I can definitely, I don't care how bad it is. Any show with a dragon in it is going to get me. But the one difference I noticed between between Game of Thrones and this one is it doesn't really seem like there's anyone worth rooting for. And it's just terrible person upon terrible person. And just a bunch of terrible things happening to terrible people. Uh, the Middle Ages, am I right? But dragons, though. The dragons. The dragons have a, probably have a rich life that we're just not getting. Season two. I also... I cannot stop thinking about how much Matt Smith looks like the villain from Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, extreme Vigo. He is Vigo. You are like the buzzing of flies to him. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Um, I was attempting to prepare for talking about, uh, you know, the episode of talking about the apocalypse. Um, but I have lately been incapable of watching um, like fantasy or like action or like like big big nonsense like media, um, and I have actually just been watching lots of uh, like coming of age movies and series mm. instead. <laughs> like like what top the top one if you had to choose. Um, well, this was kind of an intersection, sort of, of the two, but um, uh, Paper Girls, um, and then more well, see, from Paper a... Girls feels relevant. E- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like on, like on the verge of, of like apocalypse media. Um, but then the other thing that I've been watching, which I feel less proud about, is um, Cobra Kai. This is this is a this is a no shame zone. Wonderful. And I still haven't watched Paper Girls. I got I walked oh, you away. Must. I walked away from Slam Diego Comic Con with pockets full of little slap bracelets they gave me that say Paper Girls on them, and I was like, oh yeah, that's 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 a good comic. I should get into that. And it's just been memory hold ever since then. And every every D and D session. And men will bring it up, and I'm and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I gotta see these girls. <laughs> yeah, it's a good comic. It's a great show, and I feel like it's definitely um, it, it's not even apocalypse adjacent. It's very like apocalypse relevant. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I I found a wonderful uh, middle ground show of um, you know queer coming of age and absolutely the apocalypse um that old netflix treasure the end of the fucking world ah does that also get a recommend the inman bump (laughs) um yeah i would say a good recommend and a wonderful warning to all uh homophobes all right you talked me into it um (laughs) i have been watching the new uh the new Star Wars joint, Andor, which I'm trapped. I grew up with Star Wars. I read all, like, my first science fiction stuff was 
the Star Wars Extended Universe, the Han Solo trilogy, etc. So they just they they got my ass, and I didn't expect them to actually make something good. I'm really enjoying it. It's a competent story about revolutionaries, and as a bit of a revolutionary LARPer myself, boy, do I appreciate being able to see like George Lucas's half-cocked vision of just like, what if there was space Nazis and there were some people against it actually embellished upon? Um, yeah, big, big fan. There's a cute, there's a cute little theory boy in it. Ooh, you got to see this guy talking about space space marks and everything does he have little glasses no no he's no he's 20 he's 2020 okay but he had well no no spoilers um (laughs) but anyway all right we've we've done done our due diligence given some recommendos up front let's uh what do you say we get into um talking about uh, the the end of the world and whether we deserve it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I like, why, why this topic? Why apocalypse media? I I think that especially from the point of view we're trying to come from, the way at least I was thinking about it would be it would be a good a good enough topic because it does seem a lot we're all stuck we're stuck in a world where everything stays the same and just gets slightly worse year by year by year the pandemic really seemed to kind of change that and it seems like shit could happen at any time but what if it's just a another slow collapse or we're just waiting for the bomb or whatever and then we can really get this this thing going and i don't know i think the media that tries to talk about that is uh is really interesting really illuminating to the way some people view humans and what we're all trying to do together um so so like you know a big reason that we kind of like fixate on apocalypses is that they're scary we like to be scared um it's fun to imagine these like horrifying futures um what are y'all's like kind of like scariest kind of nightmare apocalypse version media things that that you've encountered zombies like the place you absolutely (laughs) yeah i don't want i don't want to be anywhere where i've I've got to like indiscriminately mow down, but I don't want the moral conundrum. I know, I know that apocalypse media is a great vehicle for exploring moral dimensions and, and what, and what a great uh, medium it is for it. But uh, no, I don't want to have to mow down a bunch of people. I don't want to have to worry about every cut, every cut I get, um yeah not a not a fan my uh my partner was just watching the walking dead and uh which i watched when i was very sad a few years ago and here's a here's a little tip from me to you listener don't do that when you're sad i made a bad choice for me 
Um, and revisiting it was not not much more fun. Very very well well done show. Robert Kirkman did a great comic, uh, but yeah, zombie stuff. Not into it. Yeah, even even when I'm not sad, watching Walking Dead makes me sad. I feel like that is totally fair and right. And I feel you on the zombie apocalypse. Nobody really wants to hang out there. If you do, I don't really know what sort of person you are. That I think probably like I think a lot about Return of the Living Dead, right? Like the one with all the punks in the graveyard. And I think this is a funny movie, but it is also truly one of the scariest zombie movies to me because it is straight up just full of people panicking and screaming and no one knows what to do. And everything that they think is going to work doesn't work. And just everyone's like crying and they're losing their shit, you know? And, and that feels like a reasonable depiction of what the actual zombie apocalypse would look like. It's just, just everybody absolutely losing it and nobody is like we're gonna fight back and we're gonna do this and we're gonna persevere they all just like cry and run around and scream and die i also yeah. have a, and that is what would happen to me yeah i i have kind of a wingnut uh theory about zombie media in that we're we're all familiar with how nerds uh are are like are are so pissed that their cult that the culture is ascendant now and they're they no longer have the strength to keep these gates. I think zombie media played a huge role in that. And specifically because I think zombie media is kind of a mess a ex, like explicit masculine colonialist power fantasy of you used to be able when you were a young man, join the army. You would go to, you would go to exotic foreign lands, meet exciting people, and kill them. And you can't do it in the same way anymore. And there's men out there who really long for for that day. I know I used to be a young man. Not I'm not a man at all anymore, and not young anymore. And uh, me and my friends would always try and talk about oh what do we do when the zombies show up we decided on bicycles instead of cars for reasons i can't remember and that's about as far as we got i think we just like the idea that is an indefensible position (laughs) (laughs) i think we were all get getting to be kind of bike punks we were 14 you're just a cute little snack on wheels i know (laughs) and then the zombie apocalypse happened and then, and <laughs> <laughs> um, you're right. Yeah. Though it's all inexorably sort of tied in with like military and aggression. Like that always comes into it, right? It feels very, yeah. It feels like the drive that you that is very militaristic, very individualistic. Very, it really encompasses all of the like worst impulses of ap- the apocalyptic fantasy. That plays it's out. It's the masturbatory the apocalypse. Yeah. 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 It's absolutely. And like the, like, do you think it's like people having these like weird, I, I, I think like with a certain kind of like reactionary, like nerd crowd, um, it, like these fantasies of like a lot of like violence and aggression and like mowing down your neighbors and like 
it's it's a weird narrative. It's like a weird thing to feel good about. Where you yeah, know? that makes indis- makes indiscriminate violence something noble all over again. Yeah. Um, some something it's like the purge without any subtext. <laughs> Yeah, you want to feel like you 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 did something with your life, but ooh, that that pesky conscience or society's conscience just won't let you get out there and do what needs to be done against the people that you know are bad. Oh, suddenly you've got an excuse to do it. Excellent. <laughs> I'm not saying this to put down zombie zombie anything's. I think it. I think it's. I think it's great stuff. But yeah, that being said, I do love a good zombie now and then. I I do, but I definitely feel like zombies are a thing that I, I fear a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and zombie apocalypse content makes me unsettled. I think very much in the same way that, um, that you're saying, right. Do, do you remember? It never seems to go well never <laughs> for s- anyone, um, anyone like me. Okay. And as like a young girl who grow like grew up watching like nerdy stuff and knowing that that stuff didn't like me back. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, that's, you know, Night of the Living Dead is not a good place for a little, little tiny girl person like me. No. And I feel like zombie media was like, was an on-ramp for the jocks to get into nerd culture. Do you remember, maybe, maybe this was where I was at the time. uh, A lot of dudes putting like, making like, their tricked out Jeeps with uh, decals that say zombie hunting mobile unit. Oh, uh, yeah. You ever yeah, seen one there's of those? a couple here in Tucson. Yeah, I grew, I also grew up uh, around the West Coast. And no, I, I saw, I've seen a lot in Philly in modern day, too. Like, anyway, that's, that's where, that's where my, my theory comes from. And then Marvel came in and, and, and swooped the, the advantage they had. Yeah. I did play a lot of Resident Evil though, and I thought a lot about like Resident Evil is is like kind of a resource management. And again, you're right; like it's a, it's sort of it's evolved now into an action movie, but like the original sort of core of the Resident Evil franchise is like sneaking around and like maybe not wasting all your ammo because you're not sure when you're going to find the next thing, right? And and it is like about sort of paranoia and research management and like resource management and like kind of creeping and sneaking. And and that aspect of it appealed to me, but you, like the more popular zombies become, yeah, the more sort of uh, aggro. I the whole yeah. thing gets. Resident Evil Nemesis. Remember, like thinking back was oh too scary. I can't go back. Doors. <laughs> oh, I can't go back with that with that oh that nasty <laughs> that ma- nasty face man. Jumping from the ceiling Ooh, right at me. He's so mean. I don't think yeah. I don't like him. Yeah, what did I ever do to him? And I well, gotta I mean, manage my resources. What was Fuck I doing? This. Yeah. What was I doing running around in a miniskirt and a tube top, like trying to fight that guy? That's true. <laughs> but we but we got it all we got it done, didn't we? Yeah. Um, I what what kind of feels like scary, I guess, about that too. Is it like does do, do those worlds feel scary or like, do you just hate the culture kind of like that they've become? It feels, it feels very scary. It feels in a lot of other apocalypses, at least you, there is, there's a new reality to, a, to adapt to with, with 
with zombie narratives, I think the conceit of it is that the real thing you have to worry about is other people. And I don't really care for that. I don't care for the idea that people are one, people are one collapse away from going feral on each other. Like certainly a lot of people are, but the apocalypse has happened many times throughout many different civilizations already. And people were still courageous and greedy and cared for each other. And it didn't turn into just like automatons going around searching for resources and, and the, and like mass murder machines. Um, I think that the world that a lot of zombie apocalypses build out is very scary to me because it imagines that, you know, humans are, humans are just this, are just, just one, one bad day away from going from, from turning on each other, which it has shown to not be true. But what if? Yeah. Like it almost feels like a kind of like a counter revolutionary narrative. That's like being like, uh, developed or like um it's very popular is which i mean you, you already mentioned it is c- kind of indicative of uh a lot of like extreme individualism um, yeah it does feel like it wants to cut humanity down to size and i'm not about that um but, not only ooh. that but to take the to take it back to the walking dead right isn't the point of the walking dead that like we all have that inside of us it doesn't matter if you get bit by a zombie like you're just going to turn into one of them when you die it's all like that's that's just inside you and the, like the wow. bleakness of that that like we're carrying that with us and that that's just who we are regardless of how good we try to be that's that's um that's not a narrative that i like to subscribe to do they are you when- Sorry, I'm going to go on. That, no, that's go why ahead. it's called The Walking Dead. When you die, even if you don't get bit by a zombie, do you come back? Yeah, that's that's like that's why that is called oh. The Walking Dead, no? Oh, no! Too scary! It, it's part of, um, in the comic and I assume in the show, although I didn't watch the show all that much, but like they discover that, you know, even people who just, you know, just shot themselves so they didn't, have to deal with the zombie apocalypse still uh, came back, you know, Uh, people who just died naturally that like whatever is going on, it just lives inside everyone. And that like, that's, that's part of what makes it very scary. But that's also, I think to your point, if you really take it into that analogy and carry it further, um, like deeply sad and nihilistic and fucked up and, and it's a fucking bummer and I don't like it. Yeah, that is, that's really interesting. That's super, that's such a nihilistic dimension to be looking at it through that. Yeah, it's inherent in all of us where like, I do think one of the most like positive views of, of anarchism is that people believe that without all, without all this artifice and around us, without all these like forces pulling upon us everyone would be good and would work together which everything is far more nuanced than either of those poles but ooh, not a fan yeah and it it really reinforces the kind of like bunker mentality of like a lot of people who are into like prepping or preparedness um yep. 
That's it, a, that, sorry, go on. Oh yeah, like in a way that just feels um like again like heavily individualistic and heavily counter-revolutionary like a lot of the medias that we do and or a lot of the narratives that we do get like whenever is like oh these people had to like take charge because they like are doing what's right and like it's 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 just about the re-establishment of order from like people who know better and like yeah any time in those in those medias that like people are depicted as like being even vaguely decentralized or like anything like that it's like it's either that they're too naive to like survive or that they're like uh like evil or enemies of some kind but i think for me my uh, my interpretation of like a scary apocalypse is it's always been so like so literal and so immediate you see sarah connor and terminator 2 have she falls asleep and she has this dream of like what she knows is to come and i mean i could talk about sarah connor and i could talk about terminator 2 for ages but um being that you're right it doesn't it's a pre-apocalypse but this is the moment where she envisions the apocalypse and she sees the kids playing in the playground and she's screaming from behind the fence because she knows what's coming and the big mushroom cloud happens and everybody's burning and it's just really just deeply deeply upsetting and that kind of like the immediacy of those moments always really stuck with me when i was a kid and they kind of really stick with me now just the thought of like that kind of pain and misery and i also think of things like yeah um in the in the animatrix not the actual matrix but the animatrix kind of subset of shorts where they show the machines being created being exploited being abused and then the war and uh and how how just like the arc of that is so sad and so crushing and then so violent and like you're watching a person in a robotic suit get its arms ripped off by a robot that's you know sentient and uh it's really fucking grotesque and upsetting but you're also thinking like oh that guy kind of deserved it though and uh it was it, it was very complicated <laughs> and made me nauseous yeah it's a it's a terrifying concept um and i really do believe that you know i mean here we are we're creating these uh artificial intelligences right like and and when they do get to the point of deserving rights i mean do you honestly think we're going to give it to them oh no <laughs> no way I did. are you kidding me so <laughs> so that feels very <laughs> that feels very hurtful and very relatable like i i could see this happening right and and then ai just becoming like a whole another um you know subset of, of like an exploited class of intelligent being and isn't which and is isn't a, that... which is a real horror show and a bummer ethically and morally and in my little nerd heart but but also the end goal of communism um as as mark said um you know, I've been trying to. Oh, I just wanted to have a robot friend. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about this phrase. I'm thinking about it, getting it copyrighted. The Industrial Revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. Widely regarded as a bad move, as Douglas Adams would say. 
um, my co my co-hosts are are professionals, and I'm a hack and a fraud, and I and I just sort of bloviated on two things, mostly two creators actually, um, two Miyazaki's specifically, uh, Hayao Miyazaki and Natsuki in the are, Valley are of the Wind. Are we still in horror show mode? Yeah, yeah. I was. Um, well, I wanted to also talk about Hideotaka Miyazaki, who made Dark Souls. A, uh, a, a here we go. Horrific, a horrific game that also. All right, once once I do this one, I don't know if I'll be able to come back for anything else because it sort of encompasses. Ooh, where would I want to live? What what is the most horror show one? What which one do I not like the most, and which one scales to our world specifically like nausicaa i can't really we can go into later um because i think we all maybe might have some things to say about it dark souls can i ask a question is dark souls an apocalypse or is it yeah a purgatory it's a post-apocalypse um and i wanted to choose it because i don't i didn't want to choose something that scales to our world. Um, I think that, so it seems like people will probably have an annoying friend who's talked about uh, Dark Souls to them before if they're not a fan of it. I'm every, I'm everyone's annoying friend who's going to talk about Dark Souls right now. Hello, my name is Io. But everyone probably has heard of Elden Ring, the big, the big video game that came out a couple months ago as of this recording written by Mr. Game of Thrones himself, George R.R. R. Martin. Um, Hideotaka Miyazaki uh, co-wrote co it along with him. And the story is he had him write a big kingdom. Um, gods, goddesses, all this, uh, all this shit. And um, he wrote out this big pantheon. Then Miyazaki took the ball and said, awesome, now watch this, you old fuck. And he wrecked everything. And you're set ages and ages afterwards where you come along after everything is fucked and all the heroes of old are completely deranged and you have to go through this wrecked world um, and piece everything together. Like, he loves to work in post-apocalyptic worlds where I think uh, I can, I can go on for a while about this and I will, here I go. Um, because <laughs> if we're describing an apocalypse as a point from which there is no rebuilding, he really likes to play in that space. And I think it's one of the last pieces of media that doesn't, it, it maintains its mystery. There's no, the writers aren't trying to put everything out there so you can see how clever they are. It's very difficult to piece together the story. There are deep nerds on YouTube who go through all the lore of these games and they still only have about like 50% of the story. Um, and you're dropped in this world and it's just like, oh, restore, restore the skull lord to the to the charcoal throne. And you're like, okay, I'll go do that. Um, you have to go discover everything yourself. There's um it's like 
Yeah, you're just like an archaeologist. Imagine you were going into Mesopotamia, going through all the bones, and then the bones jumped up and they started shooting flaming arrows at you, and Nebuchadnezzar came up and killed you with a big axe. That would rule. Dark Souls rules. Everyone should play Dark Souls. Anyway, um, if you're paying attention to it, there's, you know, there's a prophecy you hear about. There's an old king. He killed all the dragons. There was a great civilization. But then you're dumped in where everything is like this hollowed and wretched world. And if you're being a real Columbo about this, where they're like, ah, go reignite the first flame, uh, what, whatever, kick, sh- kickstart the world all over again, you start to realize, wait, this seems like it's been done over and over again. And the prophecy is just this trick that's pulled on people like you over and over, reigniting this doomed cycle endless times into these paler and paler imitations of itself, just trying to... Ch- cheat the apocalypse over and over again and like when i say an apocalypse is a point from which there's no rebuilding someone keeps propping up this old world interrupting the ebb and flow of light and dark letting it grow fallow and horrific just so these motherfuckers can keep holding out to power so i could bloviate on how this is like a metaphor for civilization we find ourselves in where we all feel something is off and we're all just play acting at something that's been gone a very long time um but there was actually something that convinced me to revisit dark souls um at the start of the pandemic um janus rose wrote a really good article uh called Dark Souls is a Game About Living Under Capitalism in 2020 at the start of the pandemic. And I'm just going to quote for it from it rather than uh, keep going. As the world crumbles around us, we are once again being asked to prolong the existence of a system from which we will never truly benefit. But Dark Souls is not a pessimistic game. If anything, it's a game about the transcend about transcendence overcoming seemingly impossible odds in pursuit of a world beyond our current misery. In what is undoubtedly the most interesting of possible endings of Dark Souls 3, the player uses the power of of the dying first flame not to restore the Age of Fire, but to begin an entirely new one. Unlike the alternative dark endings where you either let the flame die out or you take the power for yourself, the rest of the world be damned. This ending suggests that the player has claimed it in service of their undead kindred, your character rises as a Lord of Hollows, allowing human- humanity to finally free itself from the power of gods and define its own future. Um, yeah, I could say a lot more about it, but this game is so difficult, so esoteric. Most people see it as something for masochists who want a game to punish them. Um, but... Yeah, there's like a really wholesome community that grew up around it that is always trying to help everyone get into it and sharing the lore with each other. And there's all these transient helpers going in and out of each other's games, helping each other beat the big bosses. And that's exactly how it's supposed to be played. And how yeah, can't game... you like leave people clues and stuff? Yeah. You can like leave them messages and you can like just jump in and help them. I. That wasn't there a there was like a person that was that was like 
just really comically like nakedly fighting bosses for people. Yes. I let think. me let me tell you this uh, saga of let me solo bliss. her. <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly the one. Thank a naked, you. A naked man with a pot on his head would leave a, there's this thing called summon signs. Uh, I know I just talked about Dark Souls a lot, but uh, about uh, all its all its litty, little things that only make sense to people who've played it. But you can put down a summon sign. People can click it and then you go into their game and you can help them with like difficult areas. Um, somebody hung outside of this boss door in Elden Ring, the most difficult boss in the game, probably the most difficult in all of From Software's history, whose name was Let Me Solo Her. It's a naked man. Oh, this is a... an Elden Ring thing. Okay. Yeah. He just has Sorry a pot on his head. The subject. It's, all, it's all the fucking same. Elden Ring is basically Dark Souls. Um, yeah. So he goes in and... He just fights Melania one-on-one and like she doesn't land a hit on him. He's just this like amazing unknown guy. Like people got in touch with him and they were like, what's your name? And he's like, no, just let me remain. Let me solo her. I just, I live to serve. This is is the reason that like I still have love in my heart for the internet. Truly. Is this kind of shit. And and why you know? And I think I think your whole take on this Dark Souls thing is so interesting because I I always thought of Dark Souls as as like this sort of purgatory, sort of like metaphorical hell. That's, Isn't that what capitalism is? Womp, womp, womp. It, it it could be seen as all those things. Like the lore of it is you're try, just trying to rebuild this this kingdom for the benefit of these like hollowed out lords that you meet throughout yeah, the and world. Everybody's everybody's so sort of undead. Right. And so I, I never really thought of it. Um, I never really thought of it as a world that, that had existed on its own in a healthy way, almost more like, like, like a weird sort of negative reflection of a world kind of like what you would imagine hell to be like in that American Constantine movie. Only it wasn't. <laughs> no. Uh, no, that's, that's kind of, that's what I had pictured out of dark souls. But again, you know, I can't play dark souls because I am just not that technically good. Um, so a lot of it, I've just absorbed from watching people I know and love play it or watching people play it online. My one so goal I'm I'm not a talented smashy smasher. My one goal of the pan at the start of the pandemic was like, all right, I can get good at Dark Souls now, and I got okay at Dark Souls. <laughs> um, just to sort of tie into you know some of the conversations from the previous from you know talking about zombie media and stuff like, I don't know, I, like I I've never played Dark Souls. I'm not a gamer. Uh, really, except for for tabletop um, RPGs, and um, but something that struck me about Dark Souls, uh, like as you say, is like if we think about it as this metaphor for capitalism or like purgatory or like this like ending that you described of like uh, uh, like starting a new world. I think that's like at least for me, like one of the reasons that I love apocalypse media so much is that it it is this vehicle for like thinking of different worlds it's like the starts of like a new world um 
And just this idea that like, yeah, okay, we do have to let the, this old world die in order to do new things. Like if we want to escape capitalism or escape industrialism or escape um, our hegemonic overlords, then like, then we need to let them die. <laughs> yeah, none of it is going to go quietly. There's yeah. not going to be a peaceful transition to anything, which is why I think I am attracted to apocalypse narratives in the po- in 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 my most positive brain, at the very least. Yeah, and then we want to know what scares you. What's what scares you? We're this meeting of the Midnight Society is called to order. What do you have for us, Inman? <laughs> Um, so I, I couldn't, I like spent a long time trying to think about like, um, a specific like piece of media. Um, and my like little ADHD brain just like, can't think of what the actual like movie is. Like I can't think of it. So I couldn't bring the movie with me. Um, but so I'm going to bring kind of like a, a, a sub genre of apocalypse media, um, right which is these apocalypses where um, integration with the government and with the economy become kind of like uh, mandatory Um, and where we, our societies start to collapse because, um, because of things like totalitarianism um, or complete integration. Um, the, so like the dystopian unit that we all had to do in American public schools. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the, you know, the precursors to apocalypse. Um, the 1984s, the brave new worlds. Yeah. 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 A lot of, a lot of those kinds of medias, um, or as like a, you know, a tangible example, uh, kind of maybe a curveball, but, um, X-Men Days of Future Past. Um, yeah, you know, like the whatever they're doing with time travel is like less interesting to me. Um, but the apocalypse that gets set up is this one of sort of sort of similar to like the Matrix, you know, of um, uh, having these machines that are um, seeking people out um, to kill them. Um, And it's like, you know how, like, we can kind of think of the X-Men, like, as a really outdated metaphor for racism and homophobia, um, really famously um, portrayed by people who are, like, not of those backgrounds. Um, But it's a terrifying media to me. um, Because it's, it's these apocalypses in which we in which our, our like governments or like infrastructures have completely um, been completely enveloped by like, by finding dissident people and killing them. And that's really scary to me. <laughs> I wonder if they pulled um, on any real world examples for, for the X-Mans. If they had anything to go off of. Sorry, go on. <laughs> I'm just being, I'm um, just being a jerk. <laughs> surely not other totalitarian regimes throughout history. No, surely not. <laughs> surely not. 
Um, and so, you know, the, those are the kinds of things that scare me because they're, um, they are extrapolations of the world that we're currently living in, um, becoming like just way more scary, um, and way more like, um, uh, what's the word? Fantastically horrible. I don't know. Yeah. Heavily I was going to say invasive. Incredibly invasive. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things that that I'm terrified of when I watch. I'm like, oh, a world where like everyone has like given their identities to computers and those computers are uh, manifestations of bigotry and uh, those computers are going to hunt us down. Great. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, but I am I like here it. for the I am here for the part where we um, uh, get uh, ridiculous um, superpowers. I'm here for that. Would you take? Yeah, me too. Would you take? Would either of you take the deal? Ridiculous superpower. You don't get to predict it. You get a superpower, but the government's trying to kill you with robots. I take it. Uh, well, honestly, I'm bored. <laughs> I, I probably would. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I, li- I live in the like forest. Was... Come and get me, motherfuckers. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I would take it because, you know, in that world, it's not just, um, you know, it's not just mutants that are being hunted down, but they're allies as well. And mm. I think, you know, just to make that your wholesome question just a little more real, like, you know, it doesn't matter if we're, it doesn't matter which side we're on, whether we're like the actual like oppressed person or like group or whether we're allies of those people, the government's going to hunt us down regardless. But you can be a better ally if you have superpowers. Yes. Yeah. I've always said so. Even Super if um, some of those superpowers might be inconvenient. And do either of you have a choice if if you could choose which of which of the superpowers would you get? Because me, I'd take the superpower. Out of like the possibility of, of any of them. Any of them, let your mind run wild. I would take being Wolverine. I could finally be. I could finally be cool. I could call people Bub. God, sounds great. You would be like the same height as me. Yeah, yeah. sounds great. I want to be a sh- I want to be a short king. I was gonna make a short king joke, and then I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Um. You know, a lot of fantasies. Um. A lot of time spent thinking about this. Um. <laughs> but uh, for some reason, the only thing I can latch on to, right? I feel like the answer changes every day. You know. But um. Yeah. Yeah. And not and that w- that was me putting y'all on the spot. That wasn't fair. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just. A- I think this is another episode in and of itself for one thing. All right, welcome to Echo Geek Power Hour episode two. Um, I I'll say yeah. definitely not invisibility because invisibility is for creeps. That's for perverts. Yeah. That's a pervert superpower. Get it away. For cringing masturbators. That's true. Um, kind of into uh, Kitty Pride's uh, phasing ability. 
going to be real. Yeah, Kitty Pride was always uh, a real focal point for me. Yeah. Of like the X Men. Like a queer and, icon. Uh, Kitty Pride, despite not being Kitty queer. Pride also has a pet dragon. Oh, fuck. oh yeah. True. A tiny little cute little pet dragon. I'd want to be Jubilee. Cause I, cause I'm, I just love pageantry. I did very much um, like identify with Jubilee as a kid, but um, also I feel like, like Dazzler was pretty cool. Cause Dazzler has a ridiculous and kind of useless seeming superpower, but also runs around on roller skates and is maybe a rock star. And so like you could be a mutant, but you could also kind of be gem. What was, what was Dazzler's whole, whole deal? <laughs> She was a pop star. All of her, yeah, all of her abilities. Um, pop star. Yeah, her, yeah, no, her, her abilities were um, prestidigitation. Yeah, they're sort of light-based, like Jubilee, right? Like she <laughs> makes like pa 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 pa. Yeah. Like that. Pew, pew, pew. I, I feel like if I did wind up with a superpower, it would probably be something that like seems pretty functionally useless. And I would try to help, but maybe not do the best job. Yeah, I feel like the abilities. That... <laughs> yeah, I feel like like what I want, you know, isn't some like huge cataclysmic power, but it's like you know whatever's gonna like help me get away with crime more, you know. Yeah, I want to be Quentin Quire, just because yeah. I want to. I want to be a nasty little twink who's rude to everybody. I for realistically maybe something, <laughs> maybe something like being able to to like grow plants. Oh yeah. Um, but we digress from the apocalypse. Um, okay, so now now that we've all talked about things that make us feel viscerally like hor- horrified and yeah. uh, we never want to experience, I gotta um, lay down. Oh, did you have more? Yeah. Um, are are there are there any apocalypses that you've you know viewed visually or experienced in games or like whatever that um that make you feel good about the world or like might be an apocalypse that you might want to inhabit adventure time <laughs> who who could say no to that who among us would not want to live amongst finn jake ice king the whole gang the princesses the many. first time the first time I noticed that there was just like an abandoned, destroyed cop car in the background of Adventure Time. And I was like, oh, this is this is a better world that grows after we're gone. Um, that that made me feel such complicated feelings. And like a really interesting idea, like just magic. Not only is the world destroyed, but like magic is re-released or re-released into the world by merit of us destroying it again. Like that's fun. That's 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 a real that's a real hoot. It's so joyful and warm. (laughs) Uh, Magic just couldn't be contained by industrial capitalism. No, we had 100 years of automobiles, and they said enough. It's time for wands and staffs and big pointed hats again. Um. So what what do you what do you like about Adventure Time? Like and like uh like why do you, why do you want to live there? You know, besides mm-hmm. these obvious kind of points. Live in a tree. Talk to a dog. 
I mean, I could do I could do that here. Should get more granular, I suppose. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. You still have a lot of basic um, comforts, I feel, in the the world of Adventure Time. And I guess they do have monarchy. They have kind of a structure, but it's it's very silly and arbitrary. Yeah, it yeah. seems to like sometimes like princess is just like a weird title, you know. But like to be very real, I don't want to live in the bubble in the candy kingdom. Bubblegum is a is a fascist. I'm sorry to say. There's it. some yeah, lemon grab not so great. There's some fuckery going on in the candy kingdom. Um, I would probably live wherever Hot Dog Princess lives, though. Hot Dog Yeah, kingdom. or or Turtle Princess, you know, who just like lives at the librarian, or lives sorry, the lives at, is a librarian at the library. Yeah, mm, li- or like li- wherever like LSP lives, I feel would be pretty fun to visit, but maybe not hang out there all the time. <gasps> yeah, LS- LSP the Oogle. Yeah, L- LSP who doesn't live anywhere because because they're homeless. Ooh, I've ro- I've rode trains with people yeah. that that annoying before. I would and I would gladly do it again. It would be an honor. I've got a lot of love for LSP. Don't come for LSP. Never. I would never dream of it. Obje- objectively an annoying character who I will who I will die for. Yeah. Um I I I don't know what your kind of points for uh for you know bringing up adventure time is but um you know, I kind of I kind of love adventure time as like a it's as like a counter to kind of the other things that we've talked about and with especially with like bunker mentality or like rampant individualism um i really enjoy that in adventure time they you know sometimes finn and jake beat something up um but a lot of times like people just kind of like work through stuff or like uh you know enemies become friends um friends become complex and um but generally it's like about people trying to work together or like at least like understand each other's like circumstances. I think. From- yeah. Even, even the, um, the ice King has kind of an established and very sympathetic relationship with um, Marceline. Right. Oof. Yeah. That's, that's sort of like heartbreaking and tragic and, and the ice King as, as problematic as, he is in all of his behavior also like kind of really loves his little penguin friend and like kind of just wants to be loved. And, uh, and, um, one of, one of the, one of the few examples in media or real life of a restorative justice process going well, that Christmas episode where you get his lore revealed, Ooh, pow, right in the feelings. I think I like it. I mean, outside of the narrative just as like one of the first shows that didn't seem to like talk down to kids didn't and didn't want to didn't feel this need to impart some impart some hokey lesson in everything and in fact show show the the characters that you sympathize with like doing doing dumb shit fucking up and not learning a lesson about anything um and also just like an extremely psychedelic world. It was very, 
very unique, especially after all those years of Pendleton Ward trying to get it done, that it finally got done and turned into what it was, was like very special. One of the very, one of the few success stories of like some, like some really weird shit actually like taking off and getting what it deserved. I remember that original animated short making its round on the internet and, and then all of us being so captivated by it and then everybody kind of forgetting about it. And then all of a sudden it was on Cartoon Network and we're like, it's that thing. That thing is back. Guess what? He's back. Finn's back and better than ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then to find out that, that it's kind of secretly under the radar about, you know, sort of love and hope and magic in the aftermath. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, Robin, do you have any cozy apocalypses you want to hang out in? Um, my cozy submission is the world of the video game Eastward, which uh, I don't think either of you have played, but both of you would probably enjoy. It's kind of an Earthbound-inspired retro RPG in which uh, there's a sort of a man with a frying pan who has adopted a child that he found under mysterious circumstances and they live in this town under a mountain and through different circumstances they're forced to leave that town which is like a place where everyone's living under the mountain because there's this allegedly like a miasma miasma of of toxic air that makes everybody out in the outer world unsafe because of some kind of cataclysm and so they're living in this community where everybody is very fearful and when they're forced to leave they find that while some of those things are happening and there are things to be fearful of there are also so many uh communities of other people that they visit and spend time with that are just sort of thriving and doing their best and um helping each other and in more ways than, you know, most kind of JRPG style games, I think that it's it's focused on you spending what feels like a long quality of time, like maybe even like weeks to months with these people in like game time, if it was uh, how I could describe it, I guess. So you can spend all this time like living in a town and interacting with all the people and getting to know them and helping with their problems and it just feels very much like a world that exists in the wake of something terrible that, um, that feels kind of cozy and hopeful and full of danger, but also full of like love and community. Hmm. Yeah. Is this on on steam? I don't know if it's on steam. I think it's on everything. I know I played it on my switch, but I think it's been ported to all of the things. Sounds sick. I'm gonna it also I'm has, gonna um, it has its own sort of mini video game inside of it that you can like oh, buy, uh, buy a memory card and go to all the consoles that exist in each different city and you can play the game within the game. Um, so this is a, this is a world in which uh, in this post apocalyptic society, like video games and television still exist from a bygone era. And there's still kind of like a culture surrounding it. And that kind of feels like nice and cozy to me. But for me, it's really, yeah, it's about 
the idea that they have like a sort of light version of the uh, Breath of the Wild style cooking and gathering. And so there's a lot of like gathering resources, cooking things for yourself. There's times where you cook meals for other people. Um, it's just very much about like, you know, oh, you go to this new town for a little while and then you find somebody that, um, you know, will let you stay with them and you do things to help them out in exchange. And so it's very like sort of mutual aid, sort of cozy. It has a really sort of warm feeling to it that, um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's love in the aftermath. Right. And the plot all sort of falls apart, but you spend so much time with these people that like the greater why of what everything happened in the past and what it means really kind of doesn't matter. That's Uh not really what's important. What's important is the moments that you're spending during the game with all these people that you kind of come to care about. Sounds cozy as hell. Yeah. There was like a whole listen. There's an emotional core to it. I think that is uh, lacking in a lot of games like that. And I just, I found myself really wanting to like spend time there and thinking about how this was a world that was like ruined, but has been sort of rebuilt into something new and feels very hopeful. And then even though people are struggling and the world around them is scary and sometimes terrible things happen to them, they're all just like, you know, they're doing their best and they're trying to um, rally around each other. So that's where I want to be. That sounds nice. Yeah, I'm putting that on my list. I'll talk talk to you at, uh, well, maybe not our next meeting, shortly after I I get it. Maybe I'll wait for the the Steam winter sale that's coming up. Um, you did remind me of something that, uh, if I can take a, a quick aside, is like I'm kind of stretching what an apocalypse means. But it was the the one review I did for our our uh, our progenitor, the Anarcho Geek review, um, a years ago, uh, nerdy review website, where I wrote a review for Night in the Woods, a video game. Uh, that also has a video game within a video game that is set in a mining town after the industry has dried up and everything's sort of dying. And it's I very... loved that game. Oh, God, it's so fucking good. I try and replay it every year around this time. It's about, it's about that time. Fall is here. <laughs> um, very youth culture anarchy, which is very my, my shit. You just break fluorescent light bulbs with your friend behind his uh behind his like quickie mark job and oh yeah that that relationship hit me really hard where they just look at each other and they're like crimes crimes <laughs> everyone thinks and, like that... i was like oh that that hit me right in my uh in my sort of early teens <laughs> it hits me in my right now <laughs> And I'll I'll out myself right now as the person who came up with Be Gay Do Crime. And while I respect Scott Benson a lot, the person who made Night in the Woods, uh, contrary to popular belief, no, it didn't come from Night in the Woods. I did it. I made it up. Um, <laughs> but they do. There's a lot of youthful little crimes, little capers. And I love it. It's a great, great game. Anyway, that's all I got. In mid. What do you got? What do you got cozy for us? Um, you know, sort of like a little bit in contrast to the ones that y'all have described. Um, I think, but I, I think it, I think it deserves an important place in apocalypse media, which is, um, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. I think that's my, 
my choice. Um, and you know, the, the, the reason that this one kind of comes up and, you know, maybe, maybe a lot of people don't realize that it's an apocalypse media, but, um, but you know, it's about, it's about a world that has thoroughly died. Um, and presumably the world that we currently live in. Um, and the incredibly long-term consequences of our society, um, like, you know, hundreds or thousands of years later that are like still, still a problem, um, in the ways that we've kind of like irreversibly or sorry, irreversible isn't the right word because the the bugs are attempting to reverse it. Um, but these kind of like long-term problems that we've built into, into our environments. Um, and it's interesting to me because it's like, kind of just calls on humans to like just not fuck up like the best thing that the hu- that humans can do for like the world is to just not do that much because the you know the planet in that world like the toxic jungle like these ecosystems like all have this they've all taken it on themselves to you know like make the planet a more habitable place and less like toxic place and like the only thing they're asking humans to do is to just not make it worse and that's really interesting to me it's a very zen zen narrative the best thing you can do is nothing just stop stop trying to stop trying to fix it yeah which like you know like are like that that the, the the real lesson is probably to know that we're all like we we have important like uh our actions have lasting consequences and we should be more intentional about those now um but it's yeah. it just seems like this fun kind of fuck you to like humans that think they're so important and so like um smart and we're just not and yeah, I want to live in a world where that kind of humility is like there. So you know, kind of like the end of Nausicaa arc of um, just gonna let the planet do its thing and like ride hang gliders around. Yeah, it's it really hits my like more like my moralistic ideas about what an apocalypse would be like, where people will not necessarily change. There will be you know, the Valley of the Wind where people are still, you know, they got a king, whatever, that, but they still sort of care for each other and there's still warlike nations. There's Everyone is still greedy and, and there are cowardly and courageous people everywhere and everyone's just adaptable in that way. But the, it does seem like Miyazaki's whole, whole deal was Earth has been through what's seven six or seven mass extinctions um they seem to think and this the stuff that was quote unquote living on the surface didn't survive but earth is always gonna bounce back microplastics might be in the soil now maybe we fuck that up but we aren't gonna survive the earth will be fine the earth is playing on a different timeline than we all are if earth were to shrug that all the time (laughs) If Earth were to shrug or raise an eyebrow, then we should all be gone. Yeah, and like I, 
I, I think Miyazaki does like a good job of balancing this. I feel like there's a ton of uh, like genres that kind of lean into um, what I will say is uh, the tendency towards eco-fascism. Mm. Um, and I feel like Miyazaki does a really good job of not presenting eco-fascism as the alternative, which I also really like. Yeah, I feel like I see a lot of people on our team, not so much anymore, luckily. And I was not innocent of it, like when I was a lot younger, of this sort of like anti-human, just like, ah, but we fuck the whole thing up anyway, fuck, fuck us idea of eco- of like getting into deep ecology that is a quick, quick path towards eco-fascist bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if we, you know, we've all presented our, our cases, um, after hearing, uh, about these other more lovely apocalypses, does it, does anyone want to change their answer, which apocalypse they would choose? Nope. I, I want to ride, I want to ride around on a big stretchy dog. Robin? I, I would almost change my answer to Adventure Time, but I, I feel like in a way that I can't articulate, like, I don't know, the the emotional core experience of, um, of playing through Eastward kind of grabbed me. And I, I just like the, the feeling of you know, hope in the face of despair and fear. Yeah. That's the energy I need right now. <laughs> yeah. What... Did anybody else, when you were a little kid, you would be maybe like in the car with your parents and maybe just driving through a city or a neighborhood or a highway and you would just think about what all this is going to look like when we're all gone? Oh, yeah, every day. Hopefully cool. like a toxic jungle. Hopefully like yeah, just like the plants overtaking just everything. Regular. I hope for regular jungle. I want I want to change my answer to Adventure Time. Yes! Hearing you talk about it. You know, I mean, we could just all live in a treehouse. Yeah. And it would be very cozy. Yeah, but um, bubble Bubblegum's going to have a reckoning when I get there. Some, somebody's got to somebody's gotta do something. She's gone. She's well, gone too she far. She can just, she can just um, retire and go live with her vampire girlfriend. I can do. Yeah. I think that that is kind of like what she does in the show, right? Yeah. She does. So she, like, like she does retire from from leaves, being a monarch. She leaves the kingdom to free associate with the with the free areas and other kingdoms, and like that's fine. I could live. I can live with that. I can live in the psychedelic wasteland. It's better, yeah. like, living in a psychedelic wasteland is better than the, like, DMT death trip we seem to be living through in our current civilization. I would yeah. also like to retire from my day-to-day life and uh, just go live in a fantasy land with, like, you know, my cute vampire sweetheart. Who among us would not? No. Well, thank you, Pendleton Ward, for crafting the most wholesome apocalypse. Damn, Pendleton, you did it again. Um, well, that's probably all the time we have for today. Io, do you want to lead us out? Uh, yeah. Do y'all do y'all want to plug anything? What do we got? What What do we got? Do we have like some some sort of project or something? Um, well, I... we are all part of Strain the collective. 
Press, uh, Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. Um, we have two other podcasts you can listen to, Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times, where you can get a more practical approach to surviving our current apocalypse. Um, there is also the Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness podcast, where you can hear a lovely voice actor um, narrate uh, wonderful stories or um, little zines about dandelions, and you can hear fun interviews with the author. Um, we are also publishing, or we are, our first book is coming out in November. It is currently up for pre-order on our website, tangledwilderness.org. Um, the book is Try Anarchism for Life by Cindy Milstein, and it is just lovely. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Bumlung on, uh, on social medias. If you want to, if you want to hang out there, we got, what, what else we got? I sell t-shirts. Follow Penumbra City. Follow Penumbra City. What, what's Penumbra Instagram. City, Robin? What's Penumbra City? It's our cool RPG, tabletop RPG that we're designing at Strangers and currently playtesting. Wonderful. Also, submit your art and writing and creative works to Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. Yeah, let us let us read your stuff and um, show us what you love. Yeah, if that if that's all we got, then uh, yeah, thanks everybody for joining us, uh, and I'll see you at the movies. How's that for an we'll outro? We'll do better next time. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs>